Back uh, on January 17th, 1991, uh, coalition forces led by the United States took action against Saddam Hussein, who that previous summer had invaded Kuwait, and the president at that time, which was George W. Bush, uh, or, or George Herbert Walker Bush, I should say. Arnie, good to see you, brother. I'm not used to seeing you on Sunday. Dude, get that man a guest card. <laughs> now, he works on the weekend, so uh, good to see you. Now, see, I'll have to edit that out. I'm, I have a short, I'm very uh, squirrel, you know, I'm, I'm that. Um, but on January 17th, uh, the United States, under the leadership of President uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, organized 35 nations to unite in taking action against Saddam Hussein and uh, over the uh, Iraqi uh, army, uh, Republican army, had invaded Kuwait to take over, of course, their oil fields and all those type of things. And um, Now, what made that a success, the the war lasted. United States, remember, was still kind of coming out of kind of the Vietnam fatigue where any talk of war, uh, of, of, of going against and, and, and marshalling our forces, there was a hesitancy there because of all that had taken place generationally in Vietnam. And so there was a lot of uh, skittish uh, people not wanting to do this. But from January 17, 1991, it was one month, one week, and four days, and that part of the mission was done. The Iraqi army was fleeing back over the border. Uh, Kuwait was liberated and returned back to the regime that was there, and order was restored. And, of course, uh, we history will second-guess, you know, whether uh, we should have done this or done that. But one of the criticisms, if you remember that President Bush had at the time was that he it was so successful, they wanted him to just continue to go right into Baghdad. Hey, why stop here? Let's just, let's just do this and get it all over with. But here's, here's, here's the point. President Bush made it very clear, and this was part of marshalling these 35 nations to unite. President Bush made it clear that we had a very specific mission that was very clearly defined of what we were to do and not to go beyond that mission. And that mission was clear, is that the United States would lead the forces to uh, expel the Iraqi army out of Kuwait and send them back packing. Uh, Remember you saw those trucks and the highways with abandoned trucks and armor and they were just fleeing because of the overwhelming force of the United States and the coalition forces And President Bush said, that was our mission. That was our job, and we are not going to go beyond that mission. Now, again, history may second guess of what they should have done, whatever. But here's the point. It was a clearly stated mission that was agreed to, stated, and they stuck to that mission, and victory was accomplished. And I thought of that when I thought about this morning, us looking and talking about the mission of, of the Savior, the mission of the Savior. And in Isaiah chapter 61, we see the mission of the Savior. 
In verses 1 and 2, we'll look at that. We see what the mission of the Savior, the Messiah to come, was, was his purpose. Now, we've looked at a couple of places in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah chapter 9 and different aspects of how this ancient prophet looked ahead prophetically to the coming of Jesus, of the coming of Christ, the Messiah. And so as we've gathered on these December mornings uh, to open the Word and worship together, we've been talking about Christ and doing something a little differently, looking at the Old Testament. Because a lot of times people don't always associate and think about the Old Testament as having to do with Jesus. They think, wait a minute, that's New Testament, that's the Gospels. But the Bible is clear as you begin to open the Scripture that Jesus uh, is from uh, really from Genesis, really Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation 22, that it's a book about him. He said that to some disciples where he opened up the prophets and Moses and the prophets uh, and showed them all those things concerning himself. And so this morning as we continue this, we want to talk about the mission of the Savior. And so if you have your Bibles uh, open to Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 and 2, and I believe that scripture uh, would be on the screen here momentarily, uh, you can just remain seated and read along. If you didn't bring your Bible or do not have it, the two the scriptures will be on the screen. But I encourage you to follow along. If you have a different version than I have, it, we will wind up at the same spot. All right? The word of the Lord reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those or all who mourn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy reliable, trustworthy scriptures. We thank you that we possess and have your voice that you have given to us in written form. Lord, it doesn't tell us everything there is to know about you. Lord, that would be impossible to contain in a book or a million books. But Lord, we have a Uh, an availability to understand your work and your ways and how you have worked through history, Lord, to bring the rescuer, the Messiah, the mission that you have given to him. And so, Lord, today, as we open your word and draw encouragement by your Holy Spirit that makes these words alive to our minds and hearts, Lord, may we again look to you as the one who, Lord, can be the only one, the source of our strength, Lord, especially in this time when, Lord, this is a difficult time for so many people. Uh, This is a challenging time for many people. But, Lord, let us look to Christ. Let us draw strength in Jesus this morning. And we look to you to do and to bring that encouragement to our hearts. We pray in the Messiah's name, Jesus. And everybody said again, amen, amen. If somebody were to ask you what the Bible is all about... The big picture of the Bible, the theme of Scripture is salvation. It is the work of God rescuing sinners. It begins in Genesis 3 when the Word talks about the seed of the woman that would come forth there when humankind, Adam and Eve, uh, fell into sin. They rebelled against God and 
Paul helps us understand that in Romans 5 of how through one man's sin, all sin spread. It's as if that Adam was driving the uh, train car and we're all latched in the cars behind him and he drove it off the cliff and we are all connected and we went off the cliff with him. We are all sinful according to the record of Scripture. We need a rescuer. We need a redeemer. God in his holiness... Uh, in order to be holy and just, uh, could not just kind of say, well, that's okay, everybody makes mistakes. His law required death for sin. But at the same time, God who was holy had to punish sin. But yet in God's grace and mercy, for God so loved the world that he wanted to seek a way in which he could redeem these people, redeem a people by grace to himself. And so in the genius of God, God was able through Christ being our substitute to become, not to remain just and holy, but at the same time become the justifier of sinful men and women. That's the mission, the big picture of Jesus. He is our substitute to come and to redeem a people to God for God's glory that would be servants uh, in his kingdom. That's kind of the overarching big purpose. And in Isaiah chapter 61, we get a glimpse of this, of this mission of the Savior. Now, what's interesting to point out, um, and if you want to turn to it, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but you just turn to it for reference, but keep something there. Maybe keep those invite cards in Isaiah 61. But look over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we see a connection here to the ministry of Christ. I put the first couple of verses on the screen, but I'm going to uh, elaborate a little bit more around this. But you see the verses 16 and 17 on the screen from chapter 4. And uh, this is the first sermon that Jesus ever gave, at least as recorded. That wasn't the beginning of his ministry because his ministry began in John 2. Uh, John tells us it began at the, a wedding in Cana. But this is him going to his hometown and giving a sermon. And we want to look at this and make a connection here back to Isaiah chapter 61. And I hope you have uh, a Bible or a note or something to make a note of these things. I believe they'll be helpful in, um, in understanding Scripture. And verse 16 and 17 reads, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. We don't know whether it was predetermined scripture reading and God's providence had happened to match uh, the very day that he would be there, whether he chose that text for himself. And what would be normal, the custom is that, uh, and, and, and Luke is just giving us kind of a little briefer picture here, but what would be the custom of doing this in the synagogue is not only would he read, but he would expound on the passage of what he just read. But Luke kind of gives us a little bit of a short version of this. Now, this is not on the screen, but this is something that we just heard from Isaiah the prophet. So he found the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was given to him. He unrolled it. And he found the place where it was written, and this is what he reads, quoting Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He quotes directly the first two verses from Isaiah chapter 61, the prophet. Now, what makes this so radical is that the fact that these are folks, these are home, this is his hometown uh, crowd. Nazareth probably was a town or a city, really, of about 20,000 people. And there was probably several synagogues uh, servicing the needs of that community. But he went to this synagogue. It was where he brought up. They were familiar with him because if you read well, what he says or what is said about him in verse 22, they all marveled at his words and said, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, hey, uh, what's he doing? Isn't this that Joseph, the carpenter, we suspect that Joseph, uh, because Joseph is not mentioned, and, and really he's not mentioned from the time Jesus is roughly about 12. You remember when they went to the temple on the, on the Passover and they left him in Jerusalem? That's the last time you hear about Joseph. And so more than likely, uh, Joseph is dead. Uh, Mary's a widow. Joseph is dead. His earthly stepfather, not his uh, natural father, or supernatural father, I should say. But look back at the passage, verse 20, Luke 4. And then after he read this, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he said to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They were in shock. You know how I know they were in shock? Because if you look at verse 29, they rose up and they drove him out of town. And that wasn't necessarily they drove him in a car. It just means they ran him out of town. In case you are a little confused there. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built and they wanted to throw him over the hill. How did they react at what he said? They wanted to kill him. Why? Because he was uttering absolute blasphemy. He read this scripture, and in essence he said, you know what Isaiah wrote? Guess what? He's talking about me. Now, it was very, in fact, uh, doing a little reading on what type of ministry or teaching and scripture reading went on in synagogues is that one, it was very common for passages and texts to be read and studied in anticipation of Messiah that was to come. That was the hope. That was the hope of Israel was the coming of Messiah. That was the anticipation. They expected uh, a Messiah to return because they knew what the Old Testament said. Remember the disciples when Jesus was resurrected and the big question they asked him, Acts chapter 1 tells us, they asked Jesus, here he is right before he ascends to heaven and he's been resurrected and they have a burning question and they say, is it now at this time that you're going to reestablish the kingdom back to Israel? That was, that was, their, that was what they thought. That's what they understand because their concept of Messiah was a military type leader that was going to overthrow the bums who, like Rome, I mean Israel, from the time of Isaiah, about a hundred years after Isaiah wrote uh, what he wrote in chapter 61, about a hundred years later, 
that southern nation of Israel would be taken into captivity and Israel would never come out of that captivity. They would always be under somebody else's thumb that would be abusing them and and keeping them down as slaves. And many of them were taken as slaves back to Babylon. And some of them later were returned to try to rebuild the temple and reestablish it under Cyrus, who was a Persian king, Persia being modern Iran. And interesting how all these countries are still in the news. We're still talking about Egypt and Iran and Iraq, which is who Babylon was. We're still talking about these things. Of course, Israel... And so the anticipation of Messiah that was going to come as a deliverer, that was, that, was, that was everybody's hope. And here Jesus walks in, hometown boy, walks into the synagogue, stands up and quotes this and reads from this, and is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. And I love that he sits down. He doesn't even stand. He sits down, and almost he says to the, maybe the rabbi and the attendant and those in charge there at the synagogue, and he looks, I, I just kind of have these imaginations, and he said, today, that scripture is fulfilled. People that say that, you know, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to do all these things. That was tradition and all that. Baloney. They knew exactly what he was saying. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to take him to the edge of town. And this, I mean, it would be like, I'm trying to think of somebody like, uh, I thought about like uh, Fabio and Marquise coming in here and standing up here like, hey, we know Marquise. We've known him a long time. And he says, hey, I'm the Messiah. And we're like, we're going to take him out to the, I don't know, some field in Kathleen. And I don't know, I don't, I mean, we would, you know, it would just be horrible. But that's exactly what took place. Now go back to Isaiah 61. Jesus was a man on mission. The Bible says that for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, the Messiah, we might become the righteousness of God. That's, as I said, that's the theme of Scripture. Redemption, salvation, God was rescuing sinners, and and Jesus would be the one that would come. God, we talk about the incarnation, God in human flesh. The Bible says in Matthew one twenty one, when Joseph, remember after he had that dream, and the angel of the Lord said, she will bear, talking about Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. From their sins. Not he is going to give it his best shot. He's going to try really hard. No, he will save his people from their sin. And Jesus, as he prayed in that high priestly prayer in John 17, he prays to the Father. Great mystery there. He says this as he prays Father, I have glorified your name on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He says, Father, I've accomplished the mission. I have fulfilled the mission. I have accomplished what you have sent me to do. And so this morning, I want us to look in Isaiah chapter 61 and look with me at three ways 
of the Savior's mission. How, what did this look like? What did, if Jesus is the sent one from God, he's the one who has been sent from God, how was this to be accomplished? What was the mission of the Savior? Notice, first of all, we're back in Isaiah chapter 61. Notice, first of all, Jesus heals the brokenhearted. What did Jesus accomplish? What was his mission? We see it in Isaiah 61, verse 1. Jesus heals or binds the brokenhearted. Jesus says, he has sent me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me. I would mark sent me every time it's listed there in Isaiah 61 just to be reminded of the fact that Jesus was sent from God the Father. He was sent from heaven on a mission of rescue, and part of that rescue involves, the, he says, a metaphor that Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Now, just remember this, that when we read the Old Testament, we read prophecy and we read these things, there's, there's a dual aspect to this. There's an immediate time-related fulfillment to whom that prophet is speaking, okay? But then often in prophecy, there is a future fulfillment that is not yet. And we need to kind of keep those in balance there. So Isaiah, is, as he is speaking this, in the immediate context, he is speaking by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's writing these words and speaking about this coming Messiah to a people that probably their children would experience this this army that would come and destroy Jerusalem, kill many of them, destroy the temple, that beautiful temple that uh, David had the plans and he never got to fulfill, but his son Solomon got to build that beautiful, magnificent temple that was the pride of Israel and a place where they worshiped and met God and, and, and that was going to be totally destroyed by this enemy army a hundred years from the time that Isaiah is writing these words. And so what is he doing? He's speaking the, and writing these words perhaps knowing or maybe he didn't know though how these words would one day be words of comfort and hope to a generation that would be enslaved in a foreign land that would question, does God care? Anybody ever ask that question, does God care? No, no, we're too holy and pious. We would never ask something like that. Every one of you is asked, does God care? Because we have suffered brokenness, have we not? Now, again, I'm not just talking about brokenness just in human interaction, but there's something bigger that is at play here in what Scripture is wanting us to hear. The bigger picture is, is that we are broken by sin. We're not just broken because of disappointments with people and jobs and parents. And sometimes Christmas is like a freight train that hits us and reminds us of all those disappointments, right? Hello? I mean, they just come at us. You know, and, and we're just, some of you, and I know, because I hear you, because you, you, you know, I've said, we're just like, oh, if I can just get through this month, right? And I made it, you've heard me say this, I made a determination that I refuse to allow anybody to rob me of the joy of Jesus this year. I'm not saying I don't get stressed out. Listen, I did 
all my Christmas shopping online. And it was mailed and delivered, and I did it all sitting at my little computer, and I was happy. The only thing I had to wrap was something I sent to my son. But grandchildren, all these, man, I love Amazon. I love all, Best Buy, go pick it up at the store in Oklahoma. Oh, I just, this, that was so stress-free. That was so stress-free. Don't you get the joy of wrapping and mailing? No, I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I'm still using wrapping paper we bought 20 years ago. I hate all of that. But drinking my coffee and, what, you know, online, right? You know, just, it was, oh, I felt the joy. I felt the angels surrounding me singing. It was wonderful. Isn't it beautiful? But, you know, you say, well, you pay more. Da, da. Hey, you know what? If that keeps this thing stress-free, it's worth whatever extra. It was just, it was wonderful. Until they return the gifts, they all get, you know, all that kind of thing. But I don't want to be robbed. Do we have broken hearts of, of life and disappointments? Yes, yes. But let's trace it all back where the brokenness began. It it began because of sin. Jesus has come to bring healing to the brokenhearted. The Bible says, we do not have a high priest. This is Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Down the road, the writer of Hebrews says, listen to this, for we do not have a, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, speaking of Christ, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is what he says, verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Let us then, because of this great high priest Jesus, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we might receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You see, some of you and me, we lack the confidence of coming before the throne of grace to this wonderful high priest that God has given us. We've allowed all the turmoil and chaos, maybe in the way we're raised and family and all the stuff to infringe on that. Let's say, no, we're not going to do that. We refuse, we're going to draw a line in the sand this year and say, no, this Messiah has come to heal the brokenhearted, and that's me. I'm a broken person, and I need healing. Can you agree with that? All right. Some of you are broken. Some of you still shopping in the stores and not on Amazon. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're saying, Jesus, heal this brokenness. Heal the areas that are still kind of put together with scotch tape and and glue, bring wholeness and healing. The Bible says, even Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. We often quote that in result of physical healing. But, and I'm not saying, I'm not going to, you know, that there is a kingdom aspect because that's part of the promise of the kingdom. But, But I believe it really has to do with the healing that we need of our brokenness and our estrangement as sinners before a holy God. No gift, no package, nothing is going to satisfy you like the healing that God can provide. And some of you don't buy into it. You lack the confidence that Hebrews says because you go to everything and every, everybody else instead of coming with confidence before the throne of grace to a Savior who's made the promise to heal the brokenhearted. There's another aspect of the mission of Christ in verse latter part of verse 1 
where it says that he will set the captives free. What is part, how is he going to accomplish this mission? It says, to bring good news to the poor, he has set, sent me. What in Isaiah? He was, Isaiah wasn't referring to himself. He's talking about this future Messiah that Jesus identifies with himself in Luke 4 that we read. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Remember, on a, on a linear level, Isaiah is talking to people and probably their children and those who would read these words years later who would be reading these words not from the security of Jerusalem with the temple and all the array of, the, uh, of Israel and the priests and the, all the, the whole system. No, they'd be reading these words as slaves held in captivity in a foreign nation. They would read these words wondering, God, do you care? But they would say, but Isaiah says... That there is one coming, a Messiah, there is one coming who's going to set us free. These are words of hope. But beyond that, it speaks to, again, the work that Jesus has accomplished as a metaphor of setting us free from the bondages and captivity of our sin. It is setting us free. It's, it's a future hope. It's looking to the future of what Messiah would accomplish ultimately in the spiritual deliverance of his people. Deliverance, freedom, those under the captivity of sin. The Bible uses words like that we are slaves to sin. We're, you know, in our culture, for obvious reasons, we, we tend to, we, we, you know, we tend to want to use other words, but that's, that's, a slave has no freedom. A slave is under the taskmaster of, 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 the, of their, the, the master of what they would do or, or how they would live or where they would, what they would eat. They are slaves. They have no freedom. But yet, these words speaking future to a people that Jesus would deliver from the enslavement to sin. Listen to the scripture in 1 John 3, 8. You ought to write these things down. The, this says, 1 John 3, 8 says... Clearly, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Son of God came, was to destroy the works of the devil. It says it clearly. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. 1 Peter 2, 9. Remember this? But you are a chosen race, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people... For his own possession, that you may proclaim or tell of the excellencies of him. Listen to this last part, First Peter 2 9, that you may proclaim or tell the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, setting the captives free. But the, the one that you need, to, you need to make a note of this. It's a, it's just, it just says it all right here. It's Colossians 1.13. It speaks about how Christ delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What is Messiah accomplished? What is the mission of Messiah? Is that he would set those bound captives of sin and set us free and liberate us. Listen, I don't know if you, the story of that, remember that uh, happened maybe a month or two back 
of a couple that was captured by the Taliban or ISIS, and it was a husband and wife, and they had three children, and I think a couple of the children were actually born while they were in prison by, by ISIS uh, overseas and, and listening to her do an interview. Just horrible conditions. And yet she gave birth to two children. In the, I mean, tough. What do you think it was like when they were liberated? Yeah, okay. I guess it's time. We got to go. You remember, now generationally, but you can... When some of those prisoners came back from Vietnam, do you remember the one who, I don't know his name, but I just remember visually the picture. He came back from Vietnam, and when he got off that plane, he got on his hands and knees, and he kissed the ground. How much more? How much more for what we've been, the believer's been liberated from, from what Jesus has accomplished? mission of the Savior. He heals the brokenhearted, Isaiah says. He'll give freedom to those enslaved and captured by sin. And third, Isaiah in verse 2, all of these speak, he has sent, he has sent, and he has sent. It says in verse 2 of how Jesus will restore what has been taken away. Look at verse 2. I'm going to go back to verse 1 and read it just for flow. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Just that first part, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is a reference to what Leviticus 25 under the law speaks of the year of jubilee. This is a great thing, and I I wish uh, that it could get into the president's current tax plan, but I don't think it'll happen. I ain't sure anything will happen. But anyway, we'll, we'll say we want, we want to. Every 50 years under the provision of the law, every 50 years under the provision of the law, that it was stated that all slaves were to be released. All debts were to be canceled. Uh, if you got property as payment for a debt, you had to give it back. Every 50 years. That would, that would be like all your credit cards are clear and free come January 1st, 2018. Do you think there'd be shouting and joy in the streets? You bet. Your mortgage, hey, it's done, canceled. You, man, y'all would be the most Pentecostal people. Y'all would be running and dancing and waving hankies and all sorts of crazy stuff, right? It was, why? Jubilee. It's a joyful, celebratory. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Everything is wiped clean. Well, what a wonderful picture of the mission of the Savior 
that he is our jubilee. That when a Christian is saved, when a, when a person becomes right with God through Jesus Christ and, and enters into that family, uh, when a Christian is saved, the Bible says that they are set free. It uses that metaphor of being set free from our sins, our sin debt. It's canceled. It's wiped away. A, a, a debt we could never repay. Could never repay. And I don't care what the reincarnation folks, you're never going to come back in enough years to pay off that karma. You're not going to be able to do it because it doesn't exist, all right, in case you're questioning a new theology there. But no, my point is, is that there's nothing you can do. There's not the debt, the debt and the deck is stacked against you for all eternity. Massive. But Jesus, our jubilee, the Lord who has favored this Messiah, has cleaned and wiped away our debt. We have had our sin that kept us from our relationship to God canceled because of the payment of the atoning blood of Christ. There is, there is value, you know, in the blood of Christ. There is life in the, in the shedding of that blood on the cross, the atonement. We talk about the atonement, the penalty, the death that Jesus paid of how God, as we said earlier, could remain holy and just and yet be the justifier of sinful men and women. How was that to be? God came himself. There wasn't anybody that could accomplish this. And the only way that God could extend and make his, his grace permanent and his election permanent was that God had to come himself. We see those little pictures of little mangers and all those things. And, and these, these weeks are reminders that in that manger, in that baby, is the hope of all humanity. That without the sacrifice and the death, that little baby, yes, that sweet baby Jesus, was born to die. Why? Because of my sin and your sin. Now, I know some of you may quibble at this, but I would disagree. I have the two of the most beautiful grandchildren on the face of the earth. I'm just going to get it out there and you're just going to have to, right? Right? And I love, I love technology. I love when my son FaceTimes and sends me pictures on Instagram or Snapchat. I barely know how to work some of these. I'm just being honest with you. Don't ask me to send any funny pictures with all this. You know, I, I barely know how to download it, all right? I love all that. Do you think I would give my little grandson or granddaughter to die because of you? Look, can we just be real? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. I mean, I like you. Y'all seem to be most most of you are nice to me, but I'm not. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do it. You're on your own, pal. I'm not doing it. The Bible says that God gave us His Son. He gave us His Son. And when Jesus hung on that cross, that there was a moment in which the very presence of God, where it just Jesus said, "My God, My God, where art Thou?" The King James says. Theologians said, God abandoned God 
because of Jesus bearing the weight and the sin penalty. Those are deep things that, that you know, we talk about them, but do we quite understand them? And, and in John, John 19.30, it says that after he drank and they, they gave him this, mix, this vinegar mixture, and part of it was it, where he said, I thirst. And different gospel writers kind of put in some pieces there where he breathed his last. But right before he did that, the Bible says that he said these words, it is what? It is finished. And some of you know this. I'm not telling you anything new, but some of you may not. That that word in Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, is tetelestai. And that word tetelestai means finished. It means complete. In ancient uh, Greece and in Greek culture, they would find ancient uh, uh, right, different things they would dig up. And what when a, when a written... Um, business document or a receipt was paid in full, they would write tetelestai, which meant that that bill or that debt had been paid in full. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus said the word is tetelestai, meaning it is complete, it is paid in full. Not, Lord, I did my best. I did my best. No. Father, I accomplished what you gave me to do. That's the reason we can have confidence to come before this Savior as our high priest because he has completed what the Father sent him to do. Paul in Colossians would echo these words. Listen to this. Paul says, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that just meant you were sinful and outcasts to God. You were dead, but it says he has has made present reality. God has made you alive together with him, with Christ having forgiven you all your trespasses. Now listen to this, Colossians 2.14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Tetelestai, complete paid in full. The handwriting of requirements that was against us, the law that says that we were guilty before God. I love the picture there. That statement that had my name, your name, all was nailed to the cross and it was gone and it was stamped by the blood of Christ. Paid in full. Paid in full. Remember the atonement, the cross of Christ is threefold. There's justification, which is God declaring us that we are righteous. We're not infused, but we're declaring it's a picture of the court that legally declares us just before God. That means that the penalty of sin, that he has canceled the penalty of sin. As Christians, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. As Christians now, we are 
in what we call sanctification, the separation of being now the gospel that I've been saved by. Now the gospel is conforming me into the image of Christ. I'm living the gospel. I'm integrating the truth of the gospel. I'm walking in the truth and the promises of who I am in Christ. And that is that he has canceled the power of sin. That because of what Christ has done, that I no longer live under the power of sin. And then one day, one day, my body, my life will be glorified. And that not only will I be justified and, may, and cancel, that he's canceled the penalty of sin, that he's canceled the power of sin, but one day when I am with him face to face, I will be free from the presence of sin. Won't that be a good day? Won't that be a day that Jesus looked forward where it writes and towards the end of Revelation of that day in which he's ruling and reigning and his kingdom has established and all his subjects are together in a wide multitude where the voices sound like an ocean of worship and the Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. No more sin. Some people think, well, will we look back? Nah. We're going to be so enraptured in the presence of him who was that child who came on mission. We're going to be so enraptured in his presence. Emmanuel. Let's sing that this morning as we close. Stand to your feet. As we sing Emmanuel, Emmanuel who has come to heal the broken hearts, Emmanuel who has come to set me free, Emmanuel who restores my life, he's my jubilee in right relationship. Remember this, and it's an old song, but I'm not going to attempt to sing it or quote it, but it in essence reminds us of how I owed a debt I could not pay. And he's the Savior sent to pay that debt that he did not owe. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we celebrate. At December, January, and February, and March, we don't get extra religious in the month of December. We're just reminded at the awesome treasure that God has given to us. And so let that be, you hear me use this word a lot, recalibrate your brain and your spirit to the truth of who Jesus is and his mission and what he has done for you. And when you find yourself going down those paths, just say, but Father, Thank you that you sent Jesus. Because without Jesus, there would be no hope for me. Had Jesus not come to rescue me from my sin, had he not come to rescue me from my brokenness of my life, the mess that I made, that the only thing I brought to this salvation was my brokenness and my shame and my sin. I brought nothing else. Lord, lead me through Bethlehem to Calvary. 
Let's sing Emmanuel, God with us.